Chapter Five of The Mucker by Edgar Rice Burroughs. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Joe Denoya, Somerset, New Jersey. Larry Devine unmasked. Yes, Barbara, it is I," said Mister Devine, "and thank God that I am here to do what little any man can do against this band of murdering pirates." But Larry cried the girl in evident bewilderment. How did you come to be aboard the ship? How did you get here? What are you doing amongst such as these? I am a prisoner, replied the man, just as you are. I think they intend holding us for ransom. They got me in San Francisco, slugged me and hustled me aboard the night before they sailed. Where are they going to take us? she asked. I do not know, he replied, although from something I have overheard of their conversations, I imagine that they have in mind some distant island far from the beaten track of commerce. There are thousands such in the Pacific that are visited by vessels scarce once in a century. There they will hold us until they can proceed with the ship to some point where they can get into communication with their agents in the States. When the ransom is paid over to these agents, they will return for us and land us upon some other island where our friends can find us, or leaving us where we can divulge the location of our whereabouts to those who pay the ransom. The girl had been looking intently at Mr. Devine during their conversation. They cannot have treated you very badly, Larry. You are as well-groomed and well-fed, apparently, as ever. A slight flush mounting to the man's face made the girl wonder a bit, though it aroused no suspicion in her mind. Oh, no, he hastened to assure her. They have not treated me at all badly. Why should they? If I die, they can collect no ransom on me. It is the same with you, Barbara, so I think you need apprehend no harsh treatment. I hope you are right, Larry, she said, but the hopelessness of her air rather belied any belief that aught but harm could come from captivity with such as those who officered and manned the half-moon. It seems so remarkable, she went on, that you should be a prisoner upon the same boat. I cannot understand it. Why, only a few days ago we received and entertained a friend of yours who brought a letter from you to Papa, the Count de Cadenet. Again that tell-tale flush mantled the man's cheeks. He cursed himself inwardly for his lack of self-control. The girl would have his whole secret out of him in another half-hour if he were not more careful. They made me do that, he said, jerking his thumb in the direction of Skipper Sims' cabin. Maybe that accounts for their bringing me along. The Count de Cadenet is a fellow named Terrier, second mate of this ship. They sent him to learn your plans, when you expected sailing from Honolulu, and your course. They are all crooks and villains. If I hadn't done as they bid, they would have killed me. The girl made no comment, but Divine saw the contempt in her face. I didn't know they were going to do this. If I had, I'd have died before I'd have written that note, he added rather lamely. The girl was suddenly looking very sad. She was thinking of Billy Mallory, who had died in an effort to save her. The mental comparison she was making between him and Mr. Devine was not overly flattering to the latter gentleman. They killed poor Billy, she said at last. He tried to protect me. Then Mr. Devine understood the trend of her thoughts. He tried to find some excuse for his cowardly act but with the realization of the true cowardliness and treachery of it that the girl didn't even guess he understood the futility of seeking to extenuate it he saw that the chances were excellent that after all he would be compelled to resort to force or threats to win her hand at last billy would have done better to have bowed to the inevitable as i did he said living i am able to help you now dead i cannot have prevented them carrying out their intentions any more than billy has nor could i have been here to aid you now any more than he is I cannot see that his action helped you to any great extent, brave as it was. The memory of it and him will always help me, she answered quietly. They will help me bear whatever is before me bravely. 
and when the time comes to die bravely for i should always feel that upon the other side a true brave heart is awaiting me the man was silent after a moment the girl spoke again i think i would rather be alone larry she said i am very unhappy and nervous possibly i could sleep now with a bow he turned and left the cabin for weeks the half-moon kept steadily on her course a little south of west there was no material change in the relations of those aboard her barbara harding finding herself unmolested finally acceded to the repeated pleas of mr divine to whose society she had been driven by loneliness and fear and appeared on deck frequently during the daylight watches here one afternoon she came face to face with Terrier for the first time since her abduction the officer lifted his cap deferentially but the girl met his look of expectant recognition with a cold blank stare that passed through and beyond him as though he had been empty air a tinge of color rose to the man's face and he continued on his way for a moment as though content to accept her rebuff but after a step or two he turned suddenly and confronted her miss harding he said respectfully i cannot blame you for the feeling of loathing and distrust you must harbor toward me but in common justice i think you should hear me before finally condemning i cannot imagine she returned coldly what defense there can be for the cowardly act you perpetrated i have been utterly deceived by my employers said terrier hastening to take advantage of the tacit permission to explain which her reply contained i was given to understand that the whole thing was to be but a hoax that i was taking part in a great practical joke that mr divine was to play upon his old friends the hardings and their guests until they wrecked and deserted the lotus in mid-ocean i had no idea that anything else was contemplated although i felt that the matter even before that event had been carried quite far enough for a joke they explained he continued that before sailing you had expressed the hope that something really exciting and adventurous would befall the party that you were tired of the monotonous humdrum of twentieth-century existence, that you regretted the decadence of piracy and the expunging of romance from the sea. Mr. Devine, they told me, was a very wealthy young man to whom you were engaged to be married, and that he could easily afford the great expense of a rather remarkable hoax we were supposed to be perpetrating. I saw no harm in taking part in it, especially as I knew nothing of the supposititious purpose of the cruise until just before we reached Honolulu. Before that, I had been led to believe that it was but a pleasure trip to the South Pacific that Mr. Devine intended. You see, Miss Harding, that I have been as badly deceived as you. Won't you let me help to atone for my error by being your friend? I can assure you that you will need one whom you can trust among this shipload of scoundrels. Who am I to believe? cried the girl. Mr. Devine assures me that he, too, has been forced into this affair, and by threats of death rather than deception. The expression on Mr. Terrier's face was eloquent of sarcastic incredulity. "'How about the note of introduction that I carried to your father from Mr. Devine?' asked Terrier. "'He says that he was compelled to write it at the point of a revolver,' replied the girl. "'Come with me, Miss Harding,' said the officer. "'I think I may be able to convince you that Mr. Devine is not on any such bad terms with Skipper Sims as would be the case were his story to you true.' As he spoke, he started towards the companionway leading to the officers' cabins. Barbara Harding hesitated at the top of the stairway. "'Have no fear, Miss Harding,' Terrier reassured her. "'Remember that I am your friend, and that I am merely attempting to prove it to your entire satisfaction. You owe it to yourself to discover as soon as possible who your friends are aboard the ship, and who your enemies.' "'Very well,' said the girl. "'I could be in no more danger one place aboard her than another.' Terrier led her directly to his own cabin, cautioning her to silence with upraised forefinger. 
Softly, like skulking criminals, they entered the little compartment. Then Terrier turned and closed the door, slipping the bolt noiselessly as he did so. Barbara watched him, her heart beating rapidly with fear and suspicion. "'Here,' whispered Terrier, motioning her towards his berth, "'I have found it advantageous to know what goes on beyond this partition. You will find a small round hole near the head of the berth, about a foot above the bedding. Put your ear to it and listen. I think Divine is in there now.' The girl, still frightened and fearful of the man's intentions, did, nevertheless, as he bid. At first she could make out nothing beyond the partition but a confused murmur of voices, and the clink of a glass, and of the touch of the neck of a bottle against the goblet. For a moment she remained in tense silence, her ear pressed to the tiny aperture. Then distinctly she heard the voice of Skipper Sims. "'I'm a-tellin' you, mate,' he was saying, "'that there wasn't nothing else to be done.' and i'm a-gettin' damn sick of hearin' you findin' fault all the time with the way i've been a-runnin' this little job i'm not finding fault sims returned another voice which the girl recognized immediately as divine's although i do think that it was a mistake to so totally disable the lotus as you did why how on earth are we ever to return to civilization if that boat is lost had she been simply damaged a little in a way that they could themselves have fixed up the delay would have been sufficient to permit us to escape and then when miss harding was returned in safety to her father after our marriage they would have been so glad to be reunited that he easily could have been persuaded to drop the matter then another thing you intended to demand a ransom for both miss harding and myself to carry out the fiction of my having been stolen also how can you do that if mr harding be dead and do you suppose for a moment that miss harding will leave a single stone unturned to bring the guilty to justice if any harm has befallen her father or his guests if so you do not know her as well as i the girl turned away from the partition her face white and drawn her eyes inexpressibly sad she rose to her feet facing terrier i have heard quite enough thank you mr terrier she said you are convinced then that i am your friend he asked i am convinced that mr divine is not she replied noncommittally she took a step toward the door terrier stood looking at her she was unquestionably very good to look at he could not remember ever having seen a more beautiful girl. A great desire to seize her in his arms swept over the man. Terrier had not often made any effort to harness his desires. What he wanted, it had been his custom to take, by force if necessary. He took a step towards Barbara Harding. There was a sudden light in his eyes that the girl had not before seen there, and she reached quickly towards the knob of the door. Terrier was upon her, and then, quickly, he mastered himself, for he recalled his coolly thought-out plan based on what Divine had told him of that clause in the will of the girl's departed grandparent, which stipulated that the man who shared the bequest with her must be the choice of both herself and her father. He could afford to bide his time and play the chivalrous protector before he essayed the role of lover. Barbara turned a half-frightened look toward him as he advanced, in doubt as to his intentions. "'Pardon me, Miss Harding,' he said. "'The door is bolted. Let me unlatch it for you.' and very gallantly he did so, swinging the portal wide that she might pass out. I feared interruption, he said, in explanation of the bolt. In silence they returned to the upper deck. The intoxication of sudden passion now under control, Terrier was again master of himself, and ready to play the cold, calculating waiting game that he had determined upon. Part of his plan was to see just enough of Miss Harding to ensure a place in her mind at all times but not enough to suggest that he was forcing himself upon her. Rightly, he assumed that she would appreciate thoughtful deference to her comfort and safety under the harrowing conditions of her present existence more than a forced companionship that might entail too open devotion on his part. 
and so he raised his cap and left her, only urging her to call upon him at any time that he might be of service to her. Left alone, the girl became lost in unhappy reflections, and in the harrowing ordeal of attempting to readjust herself to the knowledge that Larry Divine, her lifelong friend, was the instigator of the atrocious villainy that had been perpetrated against her and her father. She found it almost equally difficult to believe that Mr. Terrier was so much more sinned against than sinning as he would have had her believe. And yet, did his story not sound more plausible than that of Divine, which she had accepted before Terrier had made it possible for her to know the truth? Why, then, was it so difficult for her to believe the Frenchman? She could not say, but in the inmost recesses of her heart she knew that she mistrusted and feared the man. As she stood leaning against the railing, buried deep in thought, Billy Byrne passed close behind her. At sight of her a sneer curled his lip. How he hated her! Not that she ever had done aught to harm him, but rather because she represented to him in concrete form all that he had learned to hate and loathe since early childhood. Her soft white skin, her shapely hands and well-cared-for nails, her trim figure and perfectly fitting suit, all taunted him with that superiority over him and his kind. He knew that she looked down upon him as an inferior being. She was of the class that addressed those in his walk of life as my man. Lord, how he hated that appellation! The intentness of his gaze upon her back had the effect so often noted by the observant and suddenly aroused from the lethargy of her misery the girl swung around to meet the man's eyes squarely upon her instantly she recognized him as the brute who had killed billy mallory if there had been hate in the mucker's eyes as he looked at the girl it was as nothing by comparison with the loathing and disgust which sprang to hers as they rested upon her sullen face so deep was her feeling of contempt for this man that the sudden appearance of him before her startled a single exclamation from her coward came the one word involuntarily from her lips the man scowled deep and menacingly he took a threatening step towards her what's that he growled don't get gay with me or i'll black them lamps for you and he raised a heavy fist as though to strike her the mucker had looked to see the girl cower before his threatening blow that would have been ample atonement for an insult and would have appealed greatly to his kelly gang sense of humor many a time had he threatened women thus for the keen enjoyment of hearing their screams of fright and seeing them turn to flee in terror when they had held their ground and opposed him as some upon the west side had felt sufficiently muscular to do the mucker did not hesitate to hand them one thus only might a man uphold his reputation for bravery in the vicinage of grand avenue he had looked to see this girl of effect and effeminate upper class swoon with terror before him but to his intense astonishment she but stood erect and brave before him her head high held her eyes cold and level and unafraid, and then she spoke again. Coward, she said. Billy almost struck her, but something held his hand. What he could not understand. Could it be that he feared this slender girl? And at this juncture, when the threat of his attitude was the most apparent, Second Officer Terrier came upon the scene. At a glance he took in the situation, and with a bound had sprung between Billy Byrne and Barbara Harding. End of chapter 5